Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about all things Peanuts and Charles Schultz. So sit back, have a cup of hot cocoa, and enjoy. So was that opening Mr. Rogers enough for you? You know, sit back and have some cocoa. Uh, I mean, well, I, that's kind of a nice thought anyway, but I mean, it sounds a little cheesy, but I'm leaving it in. It's, hey, it's the holiday season, right? So, cocoa, snow, Vince Guaraldi, Linus and Lucy, it all goes together, right? It's that special peanuts time of year. And uh, for me, the holiday celebration starts with the airing of. Charlie Brown Christmas. So that's how sick I am. <laughs> that's how demented I am. That's how much peanuts has uh, filled my consciousness. Christmas doesn't start. It's not Rudolph. Any of that stuff. It's peanuts, you know. It's a Christmas. Charlie Brown Christmas. Can't even get the title right. So here I am. And here we are together. And uh, it's our third episode. Did I say that already? Third episode. And. Um, it's in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and so we're in between two peanut specials, Thanksgiving special and the Christmas special, and I have a confession to make. I know it's going to, you know, rock some of you out of your seats. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of the Thanksgiving special. I know, I know, it's heresy to say that, but um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the Thanksgiving special. doesn't get me. Peanuts... Christmas special, wow, you know, that's like, for me, the, the ultimate in Christmas specials. I, I love that show. I mean, what's not to love? Uh, you, you've got that opening sequence with the gentle snowfall over the piano playing of Vince Guaraldi and Christmas time is here, and the kids skating on the pond, and it's like this idyllic Christmas scene, you know, right out of Courier and Ives. And then, of course, to contrast against that, you've got Charlie Brown, and all of his neuroses. <laughs> it's like a perfect summation of the spirit of the comic strip. And you got Linus and Lucy, you got the kids' dancing sequence, and the, the tree, and Linus's speech at the, on stage, and Snoopy and his first prize for the best decorated doghouse. They hit a grand slam the first time out. I mean, what's, what's better than that? Thanksgiving special just doesn't do it for me. And maybe it's because the holiday's not as big a deal. Maybe because you're not getting presents. I don't know. Um, that's not it. It's it's because, um, I don't know, somehow in that special, it doesn't seem like Thanksgiving resonates uh, with Charles Schultz the same way that both Halloween and Christmas did. And, and it seems to be missing that theme that uh, makes both of those aforementioned uh, specials so special. The whole peppermint patty inviting yourself over for Thanksgiving dinner, kind of, I don't know, it just doesn't gel for me. Anyway, I'm not going to dwell on it. I've, I've upset you enough, and, uh, and, I, and I didn't want to do that. Um, 
because this is, you know, the holiday season, after all. And that's enough reason to be depressed, as any fan of Charlie Brown would tell you. So I'm not going to spend time on negativity. But I will uh, start to talk about something else. Okay, okay. I I know I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but I'm fixated. This idea is running around my head now. If I don't talk about it, it's going to be a sleepless night, let me tell you. So, uh, hmm. These are the things that keep me awake all night. One of the reasons I think that the special doesn't really sit with me very well, the Thanksgiving special, is the difference between classic peanuts and later peanuts, or mid-period peanuts, not later peanuts, because that comes later. <laughs> 1970, what was this, 73 when the special came out, Thanksgiving special? Somebody will correct me on that. Nevertheless, it's mid-period Peanuts. It's a period when uh, Woodstock has become a major character with Snoopy and Peppermint Patty and Marcy are added to the cast. And for me, they change the dynamic of the strip greatly. And so the difference between, uh, say, the Christmas special in 65, which focuses on Charlie Brown, Lucy, and Linus, and the Thanksgiving special, uh, which focuses on, really, Peppermint Patty uh, and Charlie Brown, but mostly Snoopy and Woodstock. And, you know, a lot of the Thanksgiving special is taken up by some of the slapstick antics of uh, Snoopy and Woodstock as they uh, set up for, for the Thanksgiving dinner. And it really is a difference in tone, as well as, you know, that aforementioned idea about the difference in theme. I mean, they're really, the Thanksgiving theme doesn't really seem to resonate uh, with Schultz as much as Christmas and Halloween, in so much as Christmas and Halloween specials seem to be a great deal about faith. And when I say faith, I don't necessarily mean in the evangelical sense of the word. I'm talking about faith as a larger concept, not only faith in you know a, a higher power, but I mean faith in terms of hope for uh, something better around the corner. You know, the hope that things will will turn out, the belief that there's something more than just the commercialization of Christmas, the belief in the great pumpkin even though he doesn't arrive. But I also think it's the cast. The balance of the cast changes dramatically when you add Peppermint Patty and Woodstock. And for good or, or bad, depending on your point of view, I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's different. And uh, so we'll talk about that difference uh, maybe in upcoming shows. It seems like I want to talk about it now, but I don't know. That classic period, though, that the first two specials uh, focus on, you know, and focusing on those characters to me, that really is like some kind of mystic alchemy, the way those characters ended up working together. How do these characters work together exactly? It's a study in contrasts and a balancing act. Uh, For every major character in the strip, you seem to have a reciprocal character. Charlie Brown, center of the strip, he's deeply insecure. He's matched up, more often than not, against Lucy, who is overbearing and confident, supremely confident, right? And then you have Lucy, who's domineering, 
matched up against Linus, who is somewhat retiring and philosophical. Uh, you have Lucy again, who wears her heart on her sleeve for Schroeder, who could care less because he's obsessed with music and with Beethoven and little else. Then you have Charlie Brown, who is melancholy and morose, and he's matched up with Linus, who responds as a kind of philosophical sage to Charlie Brown's Hamlet act. Then you have the element of surprise, the unpredictable. You have Snoopy, uh, who comes out of nowhere and interjects this fantasy life into what might otherwise become a very staid, formulaic kind of set of interactions. Schultz knew this, and he knew that he, he had his cast of characters in place by 56 or 57. He knew they were working well together. He writes about the importance of casting in uh, an article that he wrote for Peanuts Jubilee in 1975, recently reprinted in a book called My Life with Charlie Brown, printed by the University Press of Mississippi and edited by M. Thomas Ang, I-N-G-E. You can get it on Amazon. Schultz writes... This, of course, is one of the secrets to casting a comic strip. It is much like casting a drama company, where you must have actors who can play whatever roles are called for. The comic strip itself should have a variety of personalities, so that you are not always striking the same note. You must have a full keyboard on which to play out the themes and variations demanded each day. And it's pretty clear that in this classic period, Schultz has got his full keyboard. Okay, okay, that's enough. That's enough. I, I can't take anymore. <laughs> I'm sure you can't take it. I had to do that. I had to do it. Forgive me, but uh, what are you going to do? You understand. In a lot of interviews, in a lot of the writings that Charles Schultz did, he often talks about the introduction of the characters, and the characters often, oftentimes were just based on little sketches. At one point, I think he says in an interview or an article he wrote that, you know, um, he came up with recurring characters because the syndicate said, well, you should have recurring characters. And so then he drew Charlie Brown with a round head based on this guy he worked with at Art Instruction. And Charlie Brown started off as a wise guy. There was no telling. Charlie Brown would become the insecure figure he became over the course of, it took five years, really, for it to develop. And Linus started off as simply just a little sketch he did, a little doodle of Linus Moore, a man he worked with at Art Instruction, Inc. again. And he, he showed Linus the drawing, and Linus said, hey, I like that drawing. And Charlie Brown, or Charlie Brown, Charles Schultz, slip of the tongue there, um, Freudian slip, right? Charles Schultz uh, said, great, I'm going to put him in and make him Lucy's younger brother. And he didn't know who Linus was. Linus had to crawl around, and then he had to stand up, and then he had to start walking around and then talking. And when he started to talk, Schultz began to find out who he was. In one article, Schultz is talking about Snoopy, and he says, well, right from the start, you know, it was clear that Snoopy could understand human beings as they spoke and could respond. And that's clear. That's pretty much clear from the beginning. But Snoopy doesn't become Snoopy right away. 
by 56 or 57, you really see the development of Snoopy and, and who Snoopy's becoming. But it's really not until, you know, later, almost early 60s, before Snoopy is walking around on two feet most of the time. So it's pretty clear Schultz is working intuitively as Peanuts develops across these early years. He wrote an article in 1959 for Art Instruction, Inc., the correspondence school that he was working for, called, strangely enough, Developing a Comic Strip. And in the article, he writes, The characters that you start out to draw today may not be the same characters that you will end up drawing a month or a year from now. New personalities will come along that you never thought of creating at the beginning, and frequently, these new personalities will take you to completely different places. In regard to the characters themselves, it's not advisable to worry too much about their development. Let them grow with your ideas. That's Schultz's approach across these early years in a nutshell, and it seems to be his approach later on, too. When Schultz approached United Features Syndicate in 1950 with a submission, he sent them a series of one-panel gag cartoons he'd been doing for a local St. Paul newspaper for a couple of years. It was a strip called Little Folks. And there were no recurring characters in Little Folks. Uh, There was a group of young children. These were strips of little folks, little kids. Uh, But there were no recurring characters in them. And Schultz didn't even think of doing recurring characters until he met the syndicate editors in New York, had been invited there. He brought along with him six four-panel strips as well to show them an alternative to the one-panel strip, and they liked the four-panel idea, but they said to him, you need to create some recurring characters. And there's an interview where Schultz says that when he signed the contract, the deal was he had to create recurring characters. Now, can you imagine that happening today? That's not possible. It's just not possible. That, you know, when you submit to a syndicate now, you've got to have everything worked out. You've got to have the whole thing in place. You've got to have all the characters completely developed. You don't go to them and say, well, you know, here's, some, here's a one-panel gag cartoon, and maybe I'll create some recurring characters. And they look at you and say, okay, that sounds fine. It just doesn't happen. Stars must have been aligned. That's all I can say. Anyway, so Schultz speaks to this in interviews, and and the interviews I'm referring to come from a book called Charles M. Schultz Conversations, also published by University Press of Mississippi, and again edited by M. Thomas Ang, I-N-G-E, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And so there's a couple of interviews where he speaks to the development of the strip. So here he says, They grew out of gag cartoons which I had sold to the Saturday Evening Post and the Sunday St. Paul Pioneer Press. When I finally collected the best of all these cartoons and submitted them to United Features Syndicate in New York, United Features decided they would rather have a comic strip than a series of gag panels with just an anonymous character each day in them. They suggested that I create some specific characters. Okay, and then there's another interview later on where he says, uh, let me see if I can pull it up here. They liked my cartoons enough to ask me if I'd care to come to New York and talk about it, and I did. I took along six daily comic strips which had a new approach to humor in the strips. If you were to see them now, they wouldn't look like much, but at the time it was new. There was a very light touch to them, and in a way, they were subtle, and it was a unique approach. They decided they would rather have a strip than the panel cartoons. So when we signed the contract, it was with the agreement that I was to create definite characters and draw a daily comic strip. It blows my mind. 
It just blows my mind. But somebody must have seen something in the work that he was doing that was unique and special. Although, you know, when you go back and you look at the that work, it certainly isn't anything like what was going to come. The psychological bent of his work that developed later wasn't in evidence. And when you think of the competition that must have been around and how many cartoonists at the time were dying for a daily comic strip, a syndicated comic strip, and how many people tried and failed, it absolutely defies belief that an editor would have been sensitive enough to to perceive the potential that Charles Schultz had in that early work. I know if I had been an editor and, say, Charles Schultz's submission had come in at the same day that Hank Ketchum's Dennis the Menace had come in, which might have been a possibility, actually. Who knows? They both started in 1950. If I'd seen Ketchum's work at the same time as, as Charles Schultz's, I would have taken Ketchum's. I mean, Ketchum's work on Dennis the Menace was completely formulated, right? I mean, beautiful line drawings. I mean, exquisite drawings by Hank Ketchum. And three simple characters, Dennis and his parents, all completely formed and immediately relatable. I would have taken Ketchum's work, and uh, that just goes to show what I know, although Hank Ketchum was, you know, and Dennis the Menace were fabulous. I love Dennis the Menace, uh, but it's not Peanuts, and it didn't continue to develop the way Peanuts did. But nevertheless, we're fortunate that whoever the editor was, and his name escapes me, I'm sure it's written somewhere, had the, the... the wherewithal to sense what Charles Schultz was capable of, because it certainly wasn't clear, uh, wasn't evident at the time. But thank goodness Charles Schultz was signed to a contract and they required that he create recurring characters. When the strip debuts in October 1950, who were the characters? Who were those recurring characters that Schultz created? Well, In the first strip, we see Charlie Brown, good old Charlie Brown, and on the sidewalk, sitting next to each other, are his pal Shermie and Patty. And pretty soon after that, the introduction of Violet. So his initial group of characters was Charlie Brown, Shermie, Patty, and Violet. Nobody knows those names today, or at least nobody, uh, when thinking of Peanuts, goes immediately to Shermie, Patty, or Violet. And I'm reminded of the passage from developing a comic strip where Schultz says the characters you start out to draw today may not be the same characters that you will end up drawing a month or a year from now (laughs) and that's certainly the case because Shermie, Patty and Violet were overshadowed by the incoming cast who developed over the next two years first was Schroeder in March of 1951 and then he was followed almost a year later by Lucy. Very quickly, maybe six months after Lucy was introduced, her baby brother Linus was introduced. And so it was 1952 before the dominant cast uh, would introduce themselves. And their character traits developed initially, well, it didn't take too long initially. Uh, Schroeder is uh, playing the piano, I think, only a couple of months after he's first introduced. Uh, Lucy kicks over some blocks within a couple of months of being introduced and beats Charlie Brown at checkers. And then, I think it's in November of 1952, Charlie Brown tries to kick a football that Lucy pulls away from him. I'm not sure when Linus' security blanket is introduced, but it's, it's a little ways away. Linus doesn't speak for a year 
or so. He's a toddler who does toddler things. And a lot of this, I think, derives from Schultz's family at the time. He notes that their first daughter, Meredith, was, quote-unquote, a fuss budget, and so Lucy became a fuss budget. And certainly a lot of the first years of the strip deal with things that you would observe in toddlers and in infants. There's a comic strip I recall where Linus tries to bend a potato chip and doesn't understand why a potato chip won't bend or tries to hang up a puzzle and finds out that a puzzle can't hang on a wall. These are the kinds of discoveries that children make. But anyway, uh, I digress. The point is that the first characters that Schultz introduces are, are not the most important characters, and that it's only through uh, day by day, one gag after another, one day after another, that the characters begin to assert themselves as personalities. And strangely enough, neither Shermie, nor Patty, nor Violet ever really become anything more than a kind of secondary chorus. They're bit players, uh, supportive cast, but really they don't have a, a dominant role, and that's very... It's instructive for those of us who are trying to develop comic strips, but it's also very strange that it took the new characters to assert themselves. But what does Schultz say in 1959 in that same quote? New personalities will come along that you never thought of creating at the beginning. And frequently, these new personalities will take you to completely different places. And the places that Schultz wanted to go were not available to him through the kind of bland characters that Shermie, Patty, and Violet were. The mud pies that Violet created in those early strips just wasn't going to get him to the kind of subject matter and the kind of gags that he wanted to get to. There was no real strong conflict, uh, but with Lucy, immediately uh, there were conflicts, and, and it wasn't long before Lucy asserted that strength by beating Charlie Brown in checkers and then stealing the football away from him and then pointing out his faults as time went on that uh, allowed Schultz to develop Charlie Brown in contrast to the strength of Lucy. And I think that's one of the things that's so important is that characters develop in relationship to one another. So, Peppermint Patty. Peppermint Patty. What about her relationship to the characters, to Charlie Brown? How does she develop? How do they develop in relationship to her? Uh, that's the, the question we've been struggling with, <laughs> supposedly, throughout this podcast. Okay, Peppermint Patty comes along in 1966, and right from the start, almost immediately, it's as though Peppermint Patty has been introduced to upend the accepted world, the accepted conventions of Schultz's world as they were in 1966 or 67. For example, Patty comes along. She's introduced to, to Charlie Brown. She identifies Charlie Brown as Chuck. She speaks to Lucy as Lucille. Snoopy is not a dog, but Snoopy is that funny-looking kid with the big nose. Immediately, Peppermint Patty comes along and makes us question the conventions that we've accepted if we've been reading Peanuts all along and, and we've entered into Charles Schultz's world. It's as though Schultz brought her on board to really throw things off, to throw in something that was going to throw a monkey wrench, you know, into the works, as it were. 
So as she develops initially in the 60s, Peppermint Patty is sort of uh, oblivious to the conventions that she is questioning or defying, if you will. And that makes for the humor in her initial appearances. As time goes on, her relationship with Charlie Brown becomes probably the most complex of both her relationships and Charlie Brown's relationships. That relationship is fraught with difficulties and misunderstanding. And and I guess that seems to be the crux of the matter, right? That Peppermint Patty and Charlie Brown seem to have a misunderstanding about one another. That's kind of an interesting thought. I had never really considered it that way before. But when I think about it, Peppermint Patty and Charlie Brown always misunderstand one another. Now that's a foundation to build a relationship upon. Peppermint Patty invites herself over for Thanksgiving and thinks that's okay. Never questions whether that's okay with Chuck or not. She just assumes that it's okay. Charlie Brown never really understands what Peppermint Patty's on about. She's talking to him about one thing and he's thinking it's about another. Or he's always, his responses to Peppermint Patty and her overbearing nature uh, tend to be befuddlement. That's his go-to response to Peppermint Patty, one of befuddlement. I've been in situations where my go-to response is befuddlement <laughs> more often than I'd like to admit. Anyway, so that relationship is, is difficult and uh, filled with <laughs> miscommunication. And when Peppermint Patty enters into his life, Charlie Brown is always kind of left in a quandary, not really knowing how to respond. That's a very different set of circumstances than we've seen before in Peanuts. And because all of the relationships prior to the entrance of Peppermint Patty tend to be very definitive. We know who Charlie Brown is in relationship to Lucy. Lucy and Charlie Brown know and know what to expect from one another. The same is true of Lucy and Schroeder or Charlie Brown and Linus. They all know what to expect from one another, even from Snoopy by the mid-60s. His flights of fancy are no longer surprises to the cast. They tend to be accepted with a certain amount of resignation. Snoopy's being Snoopy. But Peppermint Patty always leaves Charlie Brown kind of questioning what just happened. And that's different. And that changes the tone, changes the kind of uh, jokes that you're going to tell, too. We also have the relationship between Snoopy and Woodstock. Woodstock's introduced in 67, and uh, although he's nameless at first, it's not until after, you know, the event in 69, maybe it's in 70, that Woodstock receives his name. And uh, he immediately attaches himself to Snoopy, and in so doing, Woodstock becomes somewhat of a younger sibling to Snoopy, and Snoopy takes on the role of older brother, older sibling. It's almost as though Snoopy takes on responsibility, if you can believe that, and Woodstock is his charge. And that's kind of odd for Snoopy. The idea that he would become protective of another or responsible for someone else is uh, a big change, and that too changes the tenor of the strip as as it moves into the 1970s and later. In the end, Schultz had to move forward, the strip had to change, and it's hard to think of Peanuts without Woodstock or Peppermint Patty, certainly. <clears throat> so ultimately, we get back to the, uh, the Thanksgiving special, and 
you know, this whole thing is really just trying to deal with the Thanksgiving special. And in reality, when we come right down to it, you know, I enjoy Peppermint Patty. I think she's funny. I think Woodstock is funny. I enjoy the relationships between all of them. So never mind anything that I've just said. Uh, what I really think is wrong with the Thanksgiving special is maybe there's just too much slapstick. <laughs> maybe. And, and, and so there you go. That's it in a nutshell. I use that word a lot, don't I? Nutshell. Hmm. Well, I think I've, I've backed myself into a nutshell here, but the reality of it is, is I think Peppermint Patty's a great character, and I think Woodstock's a great character. They do change the strip, but most of the time they're funny and interesting, and Peppermint Patty is a complicated character, and I think that's great too. Uh, there's a lot there, and strip, uh, Schultz says at some point she could have carried a whole strip by herself, and I think that's true. So what do you do when you've rejected your entire hypothesis after a whole half hour of work here? Well, anyway, I think you say goodbye. Oh, hey, before I go, uh, in Schultz's article, Developing a Comic Strip from My Life with Charlie Brown, that book there, uh, the, the article he wrote for Art Instruction, Inc., it's, it's a short little article, but it's really good. Along with it, he publishes four comic strips that he says... Show the character, show that the humor in the strip comes right out of the characters and right out of their personalities. And the strips he picks are from all from 1956, which is really interesting because they think if you read the comic uh, sequentially in those Fanographics volumes from 1950 all the way to 57, 58, up to 59, when Schultz is writing that article. I think you'll come to the same conclusion that Schultz does. 56 is the year when everything is gelled. And so he's put those four strips in there. I'm going to try to post those four strips on my website. My website is jeffgrogan.com, G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N.com. And you can go there. You can see my work. Uh, you can see also what I've been up to, read my, my blog, read, see my new work, see my comics. And you'll find the podcast there, and you'll find a blog that usually carries the podcast stuff. So I'll put up the, the four strips there so you can see them for yourself. So once again, jeffgrogan.com, G-E-O-F-F-G-R-O-G-A-N.com. I'll also mention, uh, and I should mention, my comic strip, Jetpack Jr., formerly Plastic Baby Heads from Outer Space, is available at gocomics.com slash jetpack hyphen junior. So now's the time. <laughs> now is the time. Uh, I'm so thankful for the time we had together, right? Okay, now's the time to, to check out before I uh, get in any deeper. And so I will say happy holidays to everyone. I hope you've enjoyed this last half hour <laughs> for what it was worth. And uh, I hope you will come back and rate the uh, uh, show on iTunes, if you will. That helps it get out, helps the word get out there. In the meantime, have a happy holiday. Enjoy that cocoa. Find yourself a nice tree and settle down for a long winter's nap. And uh, hopefully you're not sleeping through the podcast. And uh, we'll see you soon. Maybe before the season's out. We'll see. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening.